Welcome to episode 21 of the DC Drop, where we talk all the news this week in DC movies, TV, and comics. I'm Tom. And I'm Zach. First up, we have some casting news for Birds of Prey. Ewan McGregor, who you might know from Star Wars, is in talks to play Black Mask, according to the rap. Uh, it says it's final talks, but it's other places have confirmed it. Um, but it looks like this is pretty much for sure happening. Um, what do you think of this, Tom? Yeah, final talks, I can always change, but it sounds like it's basically a done deal, just needs to be signed. Uh, that's very exciting. I know there are a lot of Ewan McGregor fans out there, and this is a pretty big name to get for the role of Black Mask, a guy who's probably going to have his face covered for a majority of the film. I'm sure he'll get some time without it, um, but I hope the Black Mask does look cool. And so that's really exciting. This is a really, a really exciting cast that has been assembled now for Birds of Prey. Yeah, really good cast. And I, I mean, I really like you mcgregor and everything i've seen him obviously i'm i'm very partial to star wars and i think he did a great job in that but he's he's been in a lot of other stuff too um but yeah i think they've done a really good job casting this film so far getting some some pretty big names some good talent um i do you think he'll do an american accent for his role or do you think they'll let him keep his normal accent that's a really good point i haven't thought about that i think they'll probably let him keep his normal access accent i forget where black mask is from in the comics but they could definitely have it. I don't know. It might sound menacing if it is non-American accent. Don't you think? Yeah, it definitely could be. Uh, speaking of Birds of Prey, director Kathy Ann talked a little bit about Birds of Prey and Deadline had the, the news on that. And she said she was really excited by this script. She loved the script and felt like it fit her voice and was something she could do. It felt similar to her previous work, um, which she's only directed one other film, but it, it is filled with dark humor and female empowerment is what she liked about the script. And and thinks that's something she really connected with. And it's also interesting if you want to see how she got the job in terms of how she came up with a pitch. She had to ask her agent how to do a, a pitch because she'd never done that before. And and she won, it, won, the, won the directing job over a lot of more experienced directors. Yeah, and it is a pretty cool story. You know, she does, like you said, she hasn't had a ton of experience, but they really loved what they had seen from her and they're giving her a chance. And I, I don't know. The more and more this film comes together, the more excited I'm getting for it. Just the the talent they're bringing, and then even some of maybe the the unknown talent, but um, that they're excited about. I it, it seems like it's all coming together pretty well. Yeah, with McGregor cast, there's really only Cassandra Kane that we need to hear about, and there's I'm expecting a, an unknown for that role. But yeah, it's starting to come together. And Jan did say it was it would be rated R. She confirmed that, so that's not a surprise there. And I think dark humor and female empowerment are not surprising when. You think of the characters, especially Harley Quinn with the dark humor and, and some of the others and female empowerment, having an all-female team working together. I think that's that's obviously going to be part of the script. Yeah, for sure. Let's talk Aquaman now, specifically Box Office. So Box Office Pro does long-range projections and starting at eight weeks out. And so this is their own sort of formula based on social media buzz and, and other things that they track. So it's not official tracking, which comes starting three weeks out from the film. But it's their projections, and they've been pretty on point in the past. Um, for instance, Man of Steel, they projected at $108 million opening weekend. The actual was 116 or 128 if you want to count the Thursday, which we probably should. Batman v Superman, they projected 154 and it became 166 and so on. Um, the only one they really misfired on was Justice League, which they projected for 150 eight weeks out, and it ended up at 94. But other than that, they've been on point with most of DC's stuff. Um, they do under-project it for a little bit. Um, in terms of eight weeks out. So for Aquaman, they're projecting an opening weekend of 45 million, which would be the, the finish first in a really crowded weekend and a total of 175 million domestically. Um, they, they say that the social buzz is similar to Ant-Man and the Wasp, but it might be open lower due to the time of year. 
Um, but the legs should be better, obviously, coming in December on the holidays. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Um, it's that's not a great number. Um, that's I'm sure that I would love to see it. You know, get up to to the 75, even up to 100 if that's possible. Million opening weekend. Um, but that being said, it's not a complete. It wouldn't be a complete disappointment. But I I don't think that DC would be or Warner Brothers would be you know really excited about this jumping in their seats and it. Obviously, we sort of live, or I, I don't know, I kind of live in an echo chamber sometimes of just DC stuff. So it's hard for me to judge how excited normal quote unquote people are or people who are not so into DC as much as I am, because to me, it seems like tons and tons of people are really excited about Aquaman, but that's probably because of the people I'm following and listening to. Um, so it is a bit surprising that um, it's only at the level of Ant-Man and the Wasp, like social buzz wise. Um but I guess it makes sense. Ant-Man and the Wasp did do, I think, over $600 million yeah. worldwide. So that's not terrible to, to compare to, especially for the first film in the Aquaman franchise. We should say December, the holidays, specifically around Christmas time, the opening is certainly important, but legs are a much bigger factor than they are pretty much any time else. Yeah. Uh, for most superhero films and DC stuff, two and a half is a good multiplier in terms of from opening weekend to your total. And that's been the case for pretty much everything except for Wonder Woman, which just crushed it and had great legs. Um, it has potential to have much better legs. And so it's almost more important. Obviously, you want a great opening weekend, and 45 would be a disappointment. I think it will do better than this. I think you know 60-plus is a good bet, even with a competition. With great reviews, it could bump up even more. But the legs are really important this time of year. That's why that release date is really important because something like Jumanji, which is a best case scenario, op only opened for $36 million last year and ended up with over $400 million domestically. That's obviously not something you can expect, but this time of year, you can have those kind of legs. Yeah. And, and you know, I I am very optimistic this is, this is going to be a good film and then it's going to surprise um, some of the more general audience members who weren't really expecting much from this film and then, you know, find out that it's actually really good and hear about it and and then want to go see it. I think that that kind of happened to Wonder Woman as well. Yeah. And I'm not expecting even a hundred million, even if this film gets great reviews, I'd love to be wrong on that, but just right. with the competition, um, there's a handful of other films coming out right around that time, Mary Poppins and Bumblebee and things like that. I'm not expecting that big, but I am expecting better than 45 million. I mean, Green Lantern did 53 million back in 2011. I think Aquaman will do better than that. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping it goes better than this and and does have strong legs most importantly it is the most the best reviewed and best word of mouth out of all those other films coming around those, that time and that can give it really uh, a good run overall yeah but hypothetically i mean 175 million um let's say it does 250 domestically and only gets to if it's in the 400 or 450 million worldwide i don't think that would be a, a result warner brothers would be happy with i know we're both projecting 600 plus um hoping for that but that would not be a good finish uh for aquaman if it's in the 400 to 450 million range just because this this costs a lot there's not an official budget out there yet but i'm sure it's got to be close to 200 million um so that would not be a great finish yeah this is definitely not going to be a, or it definitely was not a cheap film to make um especially with the the heavy visual effects and everything so like you said that that if it finished in the 450 range that would not be probably considered a success for warner brothers and it would be if it ended up like that it would 
make me a little bit nervous about maybe what their reaction to that would be just because we've, we've talked about this before, but maybe being a little reactionary um, to things like that. So I don't know. I hope that critics really like it and I hope people like it enough. And like you said, this would be the time of year for it to, to have legs and to, to get more than their, uh, to get a total um, more than maybe what they're looking at. Yeah. And it's tough to project what WB will think, whatever the box office result is, I think. But if you, want to see a justice league film again or something you you want this to do well because yeah if if it if it gets great reviews and does poorly at the box office i don't think uh warner brothers is going to be looking too kind of making an aquaman 2 or doing much with the current cast of characters that we've seen so far in this universe all right moving on to tv news Cheryl Prescott from The Walking Dead has been cast in a series regular role as Madame Xanadu in Swamp Thing. Um, so if you don't know who Madame Xanadu is, stop listening. Um, but if you want a character description, <laughs> a blind fortune teller with mysterious past and supernatural perceptions that reveal the future, Xanadu is a centuries-old immortal who advises and aligns with crusaders against evil but is reluctant to joy, join the fray directly. So this is a, a pretty cool character to, to bring into live-action TV. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a character, one of... DC's mystical characters who's been around for quite a while now, I think back to the 70s, and someone associated with the Justice League Dark. So you almost want to see you almost want to see Constantine come over to Swamp Thing and throw in Etrigan and uh, maybe you'll get some Zatanna and then you'd have a Justice League Dark right there on, on DC Universe. I don't think we're going to see that, but Madame Xanadu, pretty cool character. And yeah, I don't know how she's going to fit in, but a series regular role, so obviously a pretty big role. And this is really exciting because not much of the magical side of DC has been explored in TV. There's been things here and there, but Swamp Thing and Madame Xanadu, that's a pretty good start. And I'm just really excited for Swamp Thing. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of cool elements they're bringing to the show, it seems like. And um, yeah, the stuff that we've been seeing so far from, from Titans has me really optimistic, excited about these other DC Universe shows. Yeah, also cast in Swamp Thing was Virginia Madsen as an original character, Maria Sunderland. Madsen won or was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress for Sideways back in 2004 and has done a bunch of every bunch of other things. She will be a series regular role. Maria Sunderland is an original character, like I said, but her husband, Avery, has not yet been cast. That is a character from Swamp Thing Comics and was around a little bit back in the day and Alan until Alan Moore had a cool story with him and then ended it. But Maria Sunderland traded in her privileged upbringing for the swamps of Marius when she married a local business magnate Avery Sunderland, but Avery's lifetime obsession with the swamp has driven a wedge between him and Maria. Her poised existence is shaken further when the return of Abby Arcane reawakens a deep grief over the loss of Maria's daughter, Shauna, drawing her into the dark supernatural mysteries emerging from the swamp. Yeah, so sounds like a, another interesting character. And again, like really playing up the, the mystery aspect, mystery and supernatural aspect, obviously supernatural, but um, the mystery part is what gets me pretty interested in the show, the, like the secrets that the the town and the swamp has and people trying to cover it up and things that we'll, we'll find along the way. That's what has got me pretty interested in this show. Yeah, absolutely. There's going to be something going on. Sunderland's involved with uh, dark research and, and maybe hunting down Swamp Thing or something like that. Um, but yeah, it'll be lots of really cool things to look forward to in Swamp Thing. Next up, Jason, Jason Fleming from The Curious Case of Benjamin Button has been cast as a series regular for Pennyworth. He's going to play the villainous Lord Harwood um, and... The series is currently in production in the UK, so coming sooner rather than later, probably. I am not familiar with a, a Lord Harwood in 
DC Comics history. So I don't know if that's a an original character, I'm assuming, or maybe something obscure, which is fine for Pennyworth because you know, I don't I don't necessarily want to see Alfred, 25-year-old Alfred, taking down a bunch of Batman villains or anything like that. So yeah. that's fine. Um, yeah, uh, pretty cool to see the cast of Pennyworth come together. Uh, we also got details on the fifth and final season of Gotham a little bit more. It has been upped from 10 episodes to 12. So now the series will end at exactly 100 episodes. I'm really glad because that would have been weird to end at 98. Uh, just a strange number to end on. Season five is going to premiere Thursday, January 3rd at 8 p.m. And Jamie Murray from Dexter is going to play Teresa Walker, a nemesis of Jim Gordon. Um, I'm not also not sure of Teresa Walker from DC Comics, not familiar with any character with that name. So I'm not sure who this is, but there's more casting yeah and like you said pretty cool that they um gave him those two extra episodes to get him to an even 100 it's a nice thing to end at jesse l martin who plays joe west on the flash uh, is taking medical leave of absence from the show uh, tv line had one of their articles where they have like the little little tiny spoilers and questions kind of thing and somebody asked about you know he's been kind of sitting and leaning um and there was some sort of um some sort of medical thing i think he hurt his back and so they're not really sure what episode the leave is going to begin, um, but he will he'll be back after a while. But yes, if you've if you noticed, he's been leaning on things and sitting down. I think he did did something to his back. Yeah, I think that that it will be addressed in the show why he's gone, or there will be an in story reason given. Is is what it sounded like. Um, but yeah, you, you could tell Jesse L. Martin was sitting and, and leaning a lot. I just um, he's definitely going to be missed for as long as he's gone. He's fantastic as Joe West, and just hope him a a, a fast recovery for him. And to a little bit of Elseworlds stuff. So we have our first official look at LaMonica Garrett suited up as the monitor from Entertainment Weekly. What do you think of this picture? This is a pretty cool looking picture. Um, <laughs> this this costume is very, very impressive. Um, obviously, there there's like a lot of editing that went into this and the the planet blowing up in the background and like the sparks and fire and the, the light in his belt and all that stuff is really cool. And you won't be seeing those things all the time in live action. Um, but just the costume itself, trying to, to look past that stuff, it looks really good. It looks, um, you know, a lot of times some of the costumes are, it's just kind of like a base normal outfit with a little something added to it. But this is like the whole thing is pretty impressive, I think. Um, yeah, I really like the look and I love the hair. Uh, looks pretty cool. Yeah, I got to admit, I was a little skeptical of what the monitor would look like on a CW TV budget. That's a, that's a pretty out there character for the show but man this looks really good i really really like this um looks crazy it looks cosmic it looks like it should because it's a monitor he should look a little ridiculous he's got the the strange hair the strange outfit um he should look like he's not from this world because he's not really so i think it looks great i'm i'm really really like this um it's very accurate to the original monitor from crisis on infinite earths the different color scheme but the design is there. I mean, the original skirt, whatever you want to call it. Um, I know it's not a skirt, but, you know, the same thing Darkseid has, whatever you want to call that. Um, it's uh, It was white and gray originally, and this is a different color scheme. But I think it looks, I mean, I have no complaints. It, it looks really good. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just, I'm ex really excited to see this character now. Um, we don't know how he's going to fit into the crossover, but uh, I'm excited to see what he does. I mean, he looks looks powerful looks intimidating looks i mean he's in a big suit but you can tell it's a big guy uh he's very muscular underneath there um so i think that's great we don't know like i said we don't know how he fits in uh if he is i think it's a good question if he is the monitor or just a monitor because originally there was just 
the monitor and you know later on in dc comics there were a bunch so is this just one monitoring the universe or the multiverse or is he just one of many uh that we get to meet later uh i don't know how he's gonna fit in but yeah it, it looks cool yeah and this is i mean introducing the monitor and that whole kind of part of the lore and everything i i really hope that it carries over across all of these shows for you know maybe seasons to come that would be my wish just because i love this sort of big huge cosmic scale of things but being realistic for you know like you said cw tv budget i'm not sure how much it's going to factor and how much we'll get to see him later on after the crossover is over if at all so i hope it carries on i hope people like it um, but we'll just have to wait and see it looks looks really good so far well, the original monitor didn't really do a lot until he until Crisis on Crisis on Infinite Earths, where he's just like, "Hey, let's uh, I need you guys." But he could just be watching a lot, which would be kind of weird. But it would be cool to see him pop up, you know, over the next several years, whether it be crossovers or individual shows, and if they are going to build towards a twenty twenty four crisis, something like that. But I mean, this picture shows looks like an exploding planet of some kind. I don't know if that's a hint. Um, to what's going on, if if they're going to touch on that, or if it's just a cool background thing, I would guess it would tie in somehow. Whether it's just a generic kind of hey, the the else world, something's going on here um, that they fix, or if that's an actual hint at something, I don't know. He's also carrying a really big book, um, which could be anything. I mean, the the monitor could just be carrying some sort of log of the the universe or the multiverse and what's going on there. Uh, there's a crime Bible that has some ties to Batwoman, so I don't think that would really fit in. But with that logline of Destiny Will Be Written, there is a book in DC Comics called The Book of Destiny. It's also been called The Book of Souls. It was originally The Cosmic Log, which maybe sounded better in 1972. But in that book, it's actually held by Destiny, not Dr. Destiny, who you can see all of the past and future in that book, and it can be dangerous in the wrong hand. So I wonder if that's it to tie into that log line of destiny will be rewritten. Yeah, that would that would make that line make a lot of sense if it were the book of destiny and it's being written because it's a book. Um, yeah, it makes sense. That would explain why the Elseworlds, some of the crazy things that are going on in Elseworlds, how they came to be. Um, but yeah, that's different from Dr. Destiny. It is destiny, the living embodiment of destiny who carries that book around. So yeah, I don't know how this is all going to fit together, but I'm really excited for this crossover. Yeah, me too. Well, that's it for news in terms of today. Do you want to talk some TV, Zach? I guess let's get it out of the way. Doom Patrol was on Titans. Um, do you want to go spoilers here or non-spoilers? Um, I figured let's let's do non-spoilers. Yeah, I I will just say that it I'm I'm conflicted in the best possible way about introducing Doom Patrol on Titans. I'm I'm conflicted because it was just so good and so cool that I'm almost more interested in following that story than I am in following the continuing story of Titans. And that's that's saying something because Titans has is gotten really good and really interesting to me and I'm I'm pretty hooked into the story now. Um but kind of introducing this part and, and stepping away for a little bit um to get into the the world of the Doom Patrol got me m- more excited about that than I am about continuing in Titans. Yeah, that was probably my favorite episode so far not necessarily the best but i mean the doom patrol were i mean they just are great i really really like them and i think it was smart uh, to have hawk and dove and now the doom patrol show up early because the titans are taking a bit of the you know it's a slow burn with the titans and 
think it's cool to show the costume heroes showing up so soon. Uh, not necessarily superheroes, but costume characters showing up just as they are. And that's a, a contrast to where the Titans are so far. But yeah, I'm enjoying Titans. But yeah, the Doom Patrol stuff was my favorite stuff in this series so far. Every character really like Robot Man was just awesome. Um, and they did have Brendan Fraser and Matt Bomer voicing those characters. So that was terrific. And I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, if this show can keep this energy, this wonderful weirdness that the Doom Patrol had in this episode, I will very much like the show. Yeah. And that's, you bring up a good point with Hawk and Dove. Hawk and Dove, it felt like the story, their story and their, their characters tied in more closely with the ongoing story of Titans, where this almost felt like a, either a crossover episode or mm-hmm. just even a, a straight up pilot for Doom Patrol, um, which was okay because it was really interesting, but that's what makes it a weaker episode of Titans, but still maybe an even more enjoyable episode because it's a really strong episode of Doom Patrol. Yeah, without without getting too heavily into spoilers, you could, I mean, story-wise, you probably could have done this in a line of dialogue. Right. Everything that happened here. Um, there is some stuff you, you need, but I don't know how many how much lasting impact this will have for the rest of season and ti- season of Titans. But I, I I mean it was executed so well, so enjoyable that I don't care. Definitely. All right. Well, that is all we have for today. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon.